0: Good evening. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 18? And as you do, you'll notice that it is a very long psalm. It gets to the end of the page and just keeps going. So we're going to look at it in two parts. Uh, it's 50 verses. We're going to look at 30 verses this evening, uh, and then Parks is going to preach next Sunday, and then we'll conclude uh, the psalm uh, two weeks from now. Uh the, the psalm is found with very small differences at the end of 2 Samuel uh, in chapter 22, near the end of David's life. And so this psalm is one in which David is looking back, and he's reflecting on all of the ways that God has faithfully delivered him through all of his trials. And so notice that with me as I read. I'll, because of the length of the reading, I'll ask you to remain seated. but you follow along with me in Psalm 18? Hear now the word of the Lord. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From His temple, He heard my voice, and my cry to Him reached His ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because He was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through the clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered His voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And He sent out His arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at Your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of Your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, He rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all His rules were before me and His statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is You who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by You I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, would You help us as we give our attention to Your Word this evening? Would You continue to shape us, mold us by Your Word and by Your Holy Spirit? Lord, help us to see the glory of Christ. Help us to see Your care for Your people, namely in the way that You sent Christ to live, die, and rise again that we might have forgiveness of sin and life in Him. It is in His name that we pray. Amen. Well, if the theme of Book 1 of the Psalms is conflict, Then Psalm 18 is meditating on the end of conflict. David, after a lifetime of conflict, is eyeing his everlasting comfort that is coming to him soon. David's psalms so far have taught us that in conflict there is communion with God until the day that conflict ceases and eternal life is nothing but uninterrupted communion with our glorious Lord. And so in this psalm, we see David praising God for delivering him. And then toward the end of our reading this evening, he's reflecting on the question, why me? Why was I the one blessed in such a way? And so uh, if you would look at Psalm 18 with me and look back at the title of the psalm with me, we'll start there this evening as we consider the dilemma that David was in, but also his deliverer. Now, remember that the title of the psalm, you'll look there, it may be printed in all capital letters uh, in your copy of the scriptures. Uh, These titles are in the original Hebrew text. This is inspired scripture. And here we have an unusually long and a very detailed title, and it's giving us the specific occasion for this psalm. We read that David wrote this song to the Lord, you see, on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies. So, who were all of David's enemies? Well, to name just a few, we started with Goliath, and then the Philistines throughout all of 1st and 2nd Samuel, and then King Saul for the entire last half of the book of 1st Samuel, and then King Achish, Doeg the Edomite, Nabal, the Amalekites, Saul's son Ishbosheth, Ammonites and Syrians, his own son Absalom. Uh, one named Sheba the Benjaminite and a rebellion that he led against him. Uh, These are some of David's enemies. But not all of them were equally distressing. The the two worst, and Goliath is the really fun one to remember uh, from all our kids' Sunday school classes, but the two that I think were the most difficult had to have been Absalom, his own son, and Saul. Uh, Absalom, by his craftiness, sought to steal the heart's Of the people away from him. He sought to overthrow his father by a coup. And this is terribly difficult because it's so personal and dangerous. David had to go on the run here. But David, in the title of this psalm, picks out Saul among all the other enemies. Uh, It says, from all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And so I think this means to indicate for us that of all of David's enemies, the Lord most clearly showed David his power to save in the way in which the Lord preserved him from Saul. Uh, there, these were his nearest misses, we could say it this way. In fact, literally three times with a spear, uh, Saul sought to pin David against the wall. The, the Lord delivered Saul twice into David's hand. You, you might remember once in a cave when Saul went to relieve himself in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And then once when David snuck all the way to Saul's side while he was in the middle of his camp sleeping, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 26, there were two soldiers who had gone with David. and They thought that surely the reason they were there standing next to Saul's side while he was sleeping was so that King David, the soon-to-be King David, could destroy Saul. But David knew that he was not supposed to kill Saul. He was supposed to trust God that God would deliver the kingdom to him in his timing. And so what did David do? He took Saul's spear and his water jar and got a safe distance from him before David revealed to Saul and his men what he had done, really what the Lord had enabled him to do. And so I bring this up to remind you that it's in this moment that David saw that the Lord would deliver him from Saul that the Lord would bring Saul's unjust reign to an end. Look at the power that the Lord has over Saul and all his men to keep them in a sleep while David walks all the way into the camp where Saul is surrounded and heavily guarded. David knows that it is the Lord uh, who will deliver him finally. And so it was David not to take the kingdom into his own hands. It was David's to trust the Lord. And to wait until the day of deliverance. And well, on that day that Saul did die, in the last chapter of 1 Samuel, uh, that was a day of weeping for David. And not just because his best friend Jonathan, Saul's son, died on that same day, but because Saul had died as well. Yeah, David laments both of them. Isn't that interesting? He sings the song in 2 Samuel chapter 1 with the three-time refrain how the mighty have fallen. Israel had asked for a king out of sinful discontentment. They wanted to look like the other nations. And God had given them the king that they deserved. Saul looked like a leader. He was strong in battle, but he was not godly. The Israelites suffered because of this, and chiefly David among them. What a tragedy Saul's life was and David knew the full weight of that and you get the sense of that weight of it landing on him as he sings the song in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and some have questioned if David is being genuine in 2 Samuel chapter 1 when he laments Jonathan and Saul's death and scoffers want to say that this is a political move on his part but as as Christians i think we should recognize this sort of prayer the way that the bible teaches us to pray for our enemies to love them and yet and to pray for them, and yet to acknowledge that they are, in fact, enemies of the church. You may think of uh, those who persecute the church abroad. We recognize them as enemies. We want their wickedness to stop. We want to see justice come and for God to deliver His people. We also want them to be saved. And we truly believe that they can be. And so David truly mourned Saul. And at the same time, he was relieved in the day of his death. He thanked God for the deliverance that he had provided for him. And so God delivered David from Saul, who was the tip of the spear. He was the height of all the rest of David's enemies. And and we should remember here, brothers and sisters, that if God would deliver David from his enemies, even the worst of his enemies, then he will deliver the church as well from the world, from the flesh, from the devil. You can trust the Lord to guard your soul, to sanctify you, to strengthen you, even when the church seems small and sore oppressed the world over. The Lord will keep His people. The Lord will uphold and sustain you. Uh, Listen to William Plummer. He says, However long the strife of God's people may last, it will at length have a close. God will finally deliver from all enemies. Well, dear friends, do you trust Christ to deliver you from every enemy, every sin that clings so closely, every demon that tempts, Satan who seeks to destroy your faith? Do you trust that you will not face difficulty forever, that the Lord is your deliverer and He will at last deliver one day? Well, so David begins this psalm with enthusiastic praise. In in verses 1 and 2, he begins professing his love for the Lord. And he's not just thankful for the help that God has given him. He isn't simply indebted to God and now he owes him. No, he begins, I love you, O Lord, my strength. David has given his entire wholehearted devotion to the Lord. And then in verses 1 and 2, he lets flow a waterfall of descriptions for God. And all of them convey strength. You see rock twice, refuge, fortress, stronghold. They're all these defensive safety images. Uh, Shield is like that, uh, but you you use a shield while you're in battle. And so horn, too, is a symbol of strength when you are on offense. It's related to an animal's horn, like a goat or a ram or a rhino. It's the thing that does damage. David is looking to the Lord as the strong arm. Uh, He uses the words deliverance and salvation. This is what God has worked with His power. God has taken David through it all. So all these words convey strength, but you also notice how personal they are. My, 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 nine times in those two verses. God has worked salvation for him personally. And so he personally and particularly praises God. Now, through the next section of this psalm, David praises God in a very interesting way. Uh, if, if you look at verses 3 through 18, uh, he uses dramatic language. Uh, the, in fact, the language uh, that's dominated here uh, by uh, what the Lord did for uh, Israel coming out of its slavery in Egypt. Uh, So you see in verses 3 through 18, David described his deliverance in a dramatic way. Look at verse 3 where he says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. This makes a transition for us into this section and David is describing here, we should notice, that he did pray for deliverance. Uh, David was not passive. Uh, David did not just hear the promise from God that he would be king and then wait for it to come to him. Even when David had nothing on earth to do except run and hide from Saul, he was not passive even then. While he was running, while he was fighting, in everything, David prayed. He didn't just presume. And so here he thanks the God who not only delivered him, but heard his cry for deliverance. In verses four through five, he shows how desperate of a situation he was in. The cords of death encompassed me, the cords, the ropes, of Sheol seemed to be trapping him and pulling him down. And then he uses the language torrents, floodwaters threatened to wash him away. Uh, And then in verse 6, it says that he prayed and that God heard. Look at verse 6 with me. He says, In my distress I called to the Lord, to my God I cried for help, and from his temple he heard my voice. My cry to him reached his ears. David prayed and God heard. David may have been in a dark, low, tangled up place thinking, how am I ever going to get out of this mess? And God hears him from his glorious temple. Those two pictures are meant to be striking to us. The, The Lord, the one who has all power and all protection, the one who is not subject to threat or death at all, that God hears him and inclines his, his ear down to hear David, who feels so trapped. Now, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, in question 66, it asks, what's the reason annexed to the fifth commandment? Now, why are you supposed to honor your father and mother? And the answer is really interesting. Listen, it says, a, a, long, a promise of long life and prosperity are given to all who such uh, who keep this commandment, but listen to the clarification that uh, the catechism gives. it says A promise of long life and prosperity as far as it shall serve for God's glory and their own good. I think this tells us a lot about how God answers our prayers. God answers our prayers for his glory and for our good. This explains both our answered prayers and what sometimes seem like unanswered prayers. For David, it glorified God, and it was good for David to deliver him and yet wait until the day that Saul was finally overthrown. It was good for David, and it glorified God for him to deal with him in such a way until the day that God finally delivered him from all of his enemies. And and this reminds us that as we pray and sometimes as we struggle with the answers that we are receiving, we remember that God answers our prayers for his glory and for our good. And so let us take David as our example to wait patiently upon the Lord because he answers in his good time. When he answers, he uh, sometimes does so dramatically. And that's what we continue to see in verses 7 and 8. Uh, It says, the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations of the mountains trembled. This quaking of the earth is used in songs in Scripture that celebrate uh, victory in battle, like Deborah and Barak's song in Judges. Uh, The quaking is like the sound of war horses rushing into battle, the feeling uh, of of, uh, horses' hooves on the ground. But isn't it amazing here, David didn't need a whole army. For this kind of deliverance, he just needed the Lord. It's like in Acts chapter four, verse thirty-one, when the disciples prayed for boldness after Peter and John were arrested and then released. The Lord—what did the Lord do? He shook the place uh, where they were praying to show them His power and to encourage them, no doubt, but also to show that His anger was against those who threatened His people. The the power of God is meant to propel us to pray. The the power of God is for us and against the devil. Uh, It's the Lord's anger. You you see in verse 8, smoke went up from his nostrils. This Hebrew expression of anger that his nose got hot. Uh, He poured out fire like in Genesis 19 when he rained fire and sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. Or in Exodus 9, when the Lord sent thunder and lightning, hail and fire falling on Egypt. David is uh, is reminding us here that God has fury, and yet He is for us. Isn't it wonderful that if we are in Christ, God's fury is not directed against us, uh, but instead He will use that to deliver us. He will use it against uh, all those who threaten to harm the church, against the world, the flesh, and the devil. When well, verses 9 through 14, uh, we see uh, David uh, describing God's deliverance as a storm and as a heavenly uh, angelic host. And this image, again, reminds us of the Exodus and the plagues that fell on Egypt. Uh, God coming in this way, uh, look at verse 9. It says, uh, He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under His feet. God coming in this way refers to judgment. Now, not necessarily final judgment, but any time disaster falls, it points to a more terrible, more glorious day of judgment to come. Jesus' second coming when Christ vindicates Christians eternally for the whole cosmos to see and eternally condemns the scoffers and those who hate the Lord and who have been a terror to His people, that day is coming. And this language of thick darkness in verse 9 reminds us of the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai when Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. That is our God. Our Lord is a terror to behold for all those who are unrighteous. But with every step that you take closer to Him in faith, you find yourself more and more at home. No less in awe of Him, but more and more safe in His refuge. And so David is here describing this terrifying, terrible God, and yet He is glorious at the same time. We're invited not to run away from Him in terror, but instead run to Him and find the refuge of our souls. This is what David has, has found, and he rejoices in it. Uh, well, finally in this section, verses 15 through 18, uh, continues with this deliverance imagery. Uh, In in verses uh, 15 especially, we see here this uh, reminder of the Exodus. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, from those too mighty for me. They They confronted me in the day of calamity, but the Lord was my support. There in verse 15, the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare. It sounds like the splitting of the Red Sea where the people crossed on dry land. And in verses 16 through 18, the, the language becomes very personal again. This is what he did for me, David seems to say. In verse 16, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. It's interesting here, this is very near the language of Exodus chapter 2, verse 10, when Moses is named by Pharaoh's daughter because he was drawn out of the water. Moses is a play on words with the Hebrew, draw out. The whole people of Israel were drawn out of the Red Sea. And David is seeing the the Lord who delivered continues to deliver. David has experienced his own exodus, so to speak, through God's repeated saving and preserving his life. And and so, brothers and sisters, as we come to the close of this section, what about us as Christians? Uh, Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 2 applies this for us. It says, Uh, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The the men, the women, the children, the babies, they passed through the waters, being sprinkled by those parted waters. Uh, It's like uh, Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians, it was like a baptism. And so we, Paul wants us to think about it this way, we are baptized into Christ. We have this exodus from the life of sin and misery into uh, new life in Christ. We become one of the number of the church. And therefore, God is just as much at our defense as He was for the Israelites. He is just as much the one who will one day cast all evil into the sea of judgment uh, to protect us eternally. In verse 18, David summarizes, He was surrounded, but the Lord was his support. Uh, We can have all the numbers of the world against us. And if it were just us and the Lord, uh, it, it is they who are outnumbered, because the Lord is the one who is strong. And David reflects on, on all of this, and, and he, it's almost like he stops here and considers who was he, that he was treated this way. And that's where we come to our final section here, the delivered one is described. And we see here how the Lord interacts with people. Uh, Both those who love Him and those who do not. And So in verse 19, uh, you you have to look uh, at this with me again. This is such a glorious and encouraging verse. Verse 19, He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. The significance of a broad place here is the contrast with those entangling cords of the grave. But but then also the, the rock faces where he has to be swift and careful like the feet of the deer. He's going to use that imagery later in the psalm in verse 33. David is saying that God has set him in a secure place. But then the question is why? Why has God done this for David? And the fundamental answer to this question is because God decided to. Because God said so. That is why David has been redeemed. God rescued David because he delighted in him, and the same is true for us. If you are in Christ, it was because the Lord decided to save you. He decreed so, and for no other reason. it's important here God's delight did not come from something inside David. Paul says in romans seven eighteen "I know that nothing good dwells in me and Paul quoted David saying, no one does good, not even one. And when David said that, no one does good, not even one, he didn't mean except for him. No, the Lord's delight was not in response to something that David did. There was nothing in David. It was out of God's free choice. It pleased God to choose to save David. Westminster Shorter Catechism, Question 20, says that God, out of His mere good pleasure, from all eternity elected some to everlasting life that's why you're a christian out of god's mere good pleasure from all eternity he elected you uh, westminster confession of faith chapter 3 similarly says that god predestined us to life according to the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will it is god's pleasure to save you to call you to himself deuteronomy 7 Beginning in verse 6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And it is not only true for the people of Israel. It is true for us. It is because of God's covenant love that He has set upon you that you are saved. Uh, Christian, rejoice that the Lord loves you. It should astound you that He does. Meditate on verse 19 that He rescued me because He delighted in me. And maybe you're here and you're skeptical of this, or you would like God to explain Himself. Uh, Why why me or why someone else? If, if, If that is you, let me plead with you. Repent of needing to know all the answers. Rest in the fact that you are not God, nor are you called to be. Repent of sin. Come to Christ for grace and enter into the delight of the Lord. But immediately after this, now it may appear strange after saying all of this, but David goes on a long explanation of how righteous he is. And he does this in verses 20 through 24. I'll just read 20 for you because it's representative of the rest of what he says. He says, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. Pastor David has explained this language already in the psalm, so maybe you're getting used to it, but let me just remind you what David means by this. When he calls himself blameless, uh, David, when he calls himself blameless, innocent, uh, he's meaning at least two things. One, he's using the word blameless uh, to mainly mean his devotion for God, uh, that it's wholehearted, that he's not an idolater, that even though he does sin, he goes to the Lord uh, with repentance, and the second thing he means is that David is blameless uh, of the charges that have been brought against him uh, by his enemies. Uh, so the the slander that Saul and Absalom had against him that uh, perhaps Saul was uh, saying that he would, that David was trying to overthrow him. Uh, Absalom convinced so many that uh, David didn't care about them and, and didn't want to hear from them. Well, David was blameless of those charges. He's making the point that those great slanders were slanders, and David's just acknowledging that God gave him justice, that God delivered the final verdict. We should also remember in this section that David is clearly talking about ethics. It's clearly important to him that he is seeking to live an upright life, even though it isn't perfect. And so this is the question. Which came first? Did David do good, and therefore God delighted in him? Or did God delight in David before the foundation of the world, and therefore David wanted to live a godly life? I hope you picked the second option. This is the way our salvation works God saves us, and then we thank Him by our good works. We are saved by grace alone and not by works. And when we are saved, we want to work to honor God and to do good for others. And so throughout verses 19 through 24, David is talking about himself and the way in which the Lord uh, has, uh, has equipped him uh, to, uh, to pursue righteousness and godliness. And By the way, this is a fine thing to do in your prayers. We're not praying like the Pharisee who overlooks the tax collector and thanks the Lord for how good he is. We're not talking about having inflated pride for yourself. What David instead is doing is what he's done throughout this psalm. He's surveying what God has done for him. And Christian, that's a good thing for us to do in our prayers. Count the blessings the Lord has given you and return to Him all the praise and glory for these. On that subject, in verses 25 through 28, David talks about how people understand what God is doing in their lives. And we'll briefly see these last few verses here. In verses 25 through 28, there's a contrast that David gives us. He says, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. There's, there's a list here of three people that you want to be like. And then he ends with, with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous, or meaning twisted. And, and so what is the key to this? What is the key to walking in the ways of the Lord? Well, it is humility. Now, well, why humility? Well, we see there in verse 27, you save the humble people. Well, what does a humble person do? A humble person listens. A humble person listens to what? Well, to God's Word. God's Word will inform you. That's why in verse 28, he talks about God's light, how, because His Word is a lamp to our feet. But then the contrast is, what about the haughty? Well, you can't tell a prideful person anything. They won't listen, and so they will not understand. And so this is what it means when it says, to the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. To the twisted, God seems twisted. And notice there, he's not twisted. He only seems that way, but why does he seem that way? The problem is them, not God. Their vision is twisted. They will not listen to the word of the Lord. And so they understand God in a fundamentally flawed and twisted way. And so those who reject the Lord, atheists, agnostics, pagans, apathetic mockers, they all believe that they can truly see. And that's the scariest thing of all. Romans 1 says that God has given them over to what? A debased mind. A corrupt, a twisted mind. But what does Romans 12 tell us about our minds in Christ? That we are to be transformed, we are to be renewed. We know the truth, and the truth sets us free. But on the contrast, our sin, Proverbs tells us, makes us fools. Christ helps us think clearly. So brothers and sisters, do you find yourself in a fog? Try confessing your sins. Our sins darken our understanding, but Christ is light. Our sin leaves us exposed, but Christ is the refuge for our souls. And and all of this is why, by the way, that uh, for the merciful, the Lord shows himself merciful, but to the crooked, he makes himself seem tortuous. This is why it is so important for us to pray in our evangelism. Uh, For those you are concerned for, for those who you would describe as as crooked, as, as locked in this way of thinking and living, Pray that the Lord will break their heart of stone. And mercifully He does. Don't grow weary in praying. Do not uh, give up on those who are straying from the Lord. Well, finally, in verse uh, 29 and then in verse 30, uh, David confesses that it is the Lord who has strengthened him, that has preserved him against outrageous odds. And we come to verse 30, which says, This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. What a confession that is. This God, His way is perfect. David wants all his hearers to behold that this God, uh, He is the only one who delivers. And so come to Him. Know Him. Stand in awe of Him. Be warned that He is powerful and stop fighting against Him. David says the word of the Lord proves true. David knows this firsthand. God promised he would be king. And when Saul would try to stop him, God stopped Saul. When uh, when Absalom tried to overthrow David, God overthrew Absalom. David can testify that God is truly a shield. He's a defender. He's a deliverer. He is the only one. And he is the refuge. But he is a refuge for who? Isn't it glorious in verse thirty? He is a shield, he is a refuge for all all those who take refuge in him, all those who will come uh, confessing their sin, coming to Christ uh, will be forgiven and so this is the call to all. Everyone come to the rock of ages, Cleft for me, everyone come to the fortress that can withstand the rage of the whole world, even those who once raged against Christ. Repent and take refuge in Him. The the Lord Jesus Christ is the only truly blameless one. You can read back through this entire psalm and think about the Lord Jesus saying these things. He is the one who we can say is blameless, is righteous with no caveat, with no explanation. He was blameless and He died. He died on the cross and He rose again that you may have forgiveness of sins. So brothers and sisters, won't you rest? Won't you find refuge in the rock of your salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our God, we thank You that You are our strong rock, that You are our deliverer. And just as You delivered David out of many trials, so Lord, You deliver us We can say, as we heard this morning, that in this world we will have tribulation, but we can take heart because Christ has overcome the world. Oh Lord, help us to look to the true and better David, uh, the one who is the great prophet, priest, and king, the one who truly lived a blameless, righteous life, uh, who passed through the waters of death, the the cords of death did entangle him, uh, bring him down all the way into Sheol, and yet death could not hold him. He rose again on the third day that we might have full forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Oh Lord, help us in all of our struggles, in all of our temptations, uh, in, in all times that we face the difficulty of life in a cursed world. Lord, help us to look to him as the author and the finisher of our faith. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.